Father, we come before you as needy people needing your grace and mercy, and we're thankful that you have promised it to, the, to us, not just grace, but grace upon grace, all sufficient grace, so that we would have an abundance for every good need. We also pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would have a clear understanding of the text before us and its application to our life, that we might give you glory, and Father, that we might be blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Going to church, you probably said that this morning, you probably said, yeah, we need to hurry up and go to church. Uh, What does that mean? What does that mean, that go to church phrase? The word church, it's kind of like some ships that sit in the harbor for a long time and they just kind of collect all these barnacles. Well, that's kind of how the word church is. It's just collected all these definitions over the years and now... Uh, it has so many definitions, it, it hardly means anything. Uh, I think Satan would have it that way. That church just becomes a phrase and in most people's mind is so jello-like and nebulous that no one really knows what it means and can use it in any number of ways. We might say, I am going to a, a building called the church. Or we might say, I'm going to a denomination or I attend a denomination I call church. Or I, I go to a religious institution, uh, which is the church, as in the Roman Catholic Church. Or I'm going to meet the church at a location. And that's what we mean by going to church. Or I'm going to repent of my sins and place my faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, go to the church. Or I'm going to enter into professional vocational ministry. And in that way, I'm going to go to the church. Or I'm going to lobby for legislation that restores the true meaning of separation of church and state. Or when I talk about the church, I mean all those who profess to be Christians regardless of what they believe or what they do. Another says, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about all those who profess to be Christians and attend some worship service like the Baptists and Roman Catholics and Lutherans and Methodists and Mormons. No, says one, when I talk about church, I'm talking about all those who profess to be born again believers. Wait a minute, says another one. Many people claim to be Christians, even cult members claim to be Christians, and some who claim to be born again believe heresy. I use the church to talk about someone who has repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection alone for salvation. Another pipes in. When I use the word church, I am speaking of all true believers of all ages, whether in heaven or on earth, And those who are truly in the spiritual body of Christ called the church. Now those are 12 definitions for the 12 apostles. Um, They have nothing to do with the 12 apostles. But those are just 12. So I'm going to stop there. There's so many definitions of the church that you think, well, yeah. And I think a lot of us use the word church in a lot of these different ways. And I think it can legitimately be used in some of these ways. 
Uh, I just want to give you a little doctrine and theology on the church because we're going to talk about corporate worship of the church and I kind of want you to have an understanding. We can't go into this in any sort of detail because it would (laughs) take a whole series of sermons, but uh, let me just give you kind of a, a macro view of things before we proceed. When a sinner hears the gospel and repents of their sin, believes in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, when they are transformed by the Holy Spirit, turned into new creatures in Christ, adopted into the family of God, justified, sanctified, um, redeemed, forgiven of all their sins, have all their sins atoned for, When they are baptized by the Holy Spirit into that spiritual entity called the church, the body of Christ, they are part of what is called the universal church, the the church of all true believers, whether in heaven or on earth. All true believers are part of this universal church. So there is that kind of definition. The assembly of believers is really what the word church means. The word church means uh, just literal called out to an assembly. That's really what it means. Called out, those called out into an assembly. And you say, well, well, called out from what? Called out from sin. Called out from slavery to Satan. Called out from darkness into light. Called out from being children who have God's wrath biting on them to children who now have eternal life. Now, when you start talking about the church and you start dialoguing with people about the church, there is this huge problem and it's not, it's kind of a problem. It's an irritation. It's a something we all have to deal with, and that is this. We don't really know who for certain is in the church, if we're speaking of of the church of true believers. You know, you I may know you, and you may know me, and I may see you here every Sunday, and you see me here every Sunday. I see you doing things, you see me doing things. And I'm pretty sure you know Christ, and you're pretty sure I know Christ. But we all know that there are pastors who have, after pastoring for years, gone apostate, walked away from the faith. There are those who, after many, many years of serving, just have given up on the church. We know that Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? And then they list all the good deeds that they did in the church. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so we can't be absolutely certain that somebody is in the universal church, though we can be very certain they are in the local church. I see you. You're here. I know you're here. So the local church is comprised of all who profess to be believers and gather in some location here on earth. Calvary Bible Church is a local church. Now, granted, we have people who come here who know they're not Christians, who don't yet want to be Christians, and they've just come to investigate or because a friend invited them. In, and that's, that's, those people are visitors. Everybody else who says they're a Christian and gathers here on a weekly basis is part of this local church. An assembly of professing believers. Now granted, in every given local church, there is a great variety of people. There are some old, some young, some who know the Lord, some who don't, some know they don't, some are deceived into thinking they do but don't, and then some who really do and they're all stages of maturity. 
The word of God tells us that there are some people who, though they claim to be Christians and they show up to church every week, don't know Christ. Though they may profess to know Jesus with their deeds, they deny him. As John says, uh, they don't practice righteousness and they are not of God, regardless of what they say. And of course, God was aware of all this when in eternity past, he decided to establish his church. He knew the problems and uh, implications of a whole bunch of sinners uh, gathering together in corporate worship. He knew that there would be goats among the sheep and tares among the wheat and that the church would not always be able to tell who was actually a true believer or not. But he gave us sufficient instruction in his word so that the church could function like he wants it to function. He says, take men who are godly, have been tested, have godly families who love their wives, who have certain gifts and certain skills, who are approved, uh, who know the congregation, who serve and minister and shepherd the kind, appoint these as leaders to protect the church, have the church practice the one anotherings. There's all this instruction to keep the church functioning like it's supposed to function. And as soon as we begin to say, well, we're not going to have all those biblical qualifications for our leaders, or we're not going to practice church discipline, or we're not going to do this, or we're not going to do that, then the church begins to have problems, more problems than it should have because we are disregarding the word of God. Complicating the issue even more, there's many uh, professing groups who gather together in buildings built for local churches who are not churches. They do not preach the gospel. They do not preach the word of God. They do not have holiness in their congregations. Jesus has taken their lampstand from them and he is not in their midst. They are pseudo churches, harlot churches, dead churches if there was such a thing. Jesus is not moving in their midst. And then in addition to that, there's people who say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm part of the church. But I mean, I don't actually go to a, a specific location. I stay at home. I watch TV evangelists. I listen to sermons online. I, I'm my own pastor of my own family or my own life. I don't have to go to church. The Bible doesn't say to do that. Hmm. There are many reasons why God requires every believer to gather together weekly, if not more than weekly, to sit under clear biblical exposition, to hear God's word taught, to worship in all the various ways that we do here at Calvary Bible Church. The biblical reasons are so numerous, again, it would take a very long time. I'll just give you a few. One... You are to come to church so other people can minister to you. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's good. You come and other people bless you. They encourage you. They pray for you. They teach you, preach at you, whatever it is. They lead you in song. They build you up. Secondly, you are to come and assemble with believers so you can build other people up. You have spiritual gifts. You are called to use those gifts as each one has a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You are to use your spiritual gifts, your time, your resources, your energy to bless other people. Third, you are to be shepherded by biblically qualified elders and you are to submit to their leadership so that you're protected, so that you don't wander off, so you don't become an island to your own self. 
Fourth, you are to get involved in giving. You are to, fifthly, get involved in singing. Sixthly, you are to listen to the word of God being preached. Hear biblical exposition. Um, where the word of God is read and explained and applied. You are to pray and, and be held accountable by others who are around you, who know you because you've opened yourself up to them and they to you. And you pray for one another and encourage one another and get involved in each other's lives. You let people into your life. They let you into theirs. And that is how the church is to function as we care for one another and build each other up. And this morning, I'm going to address practicing the discipline of corporate worship. Now, you might not have thought before coming this morning, it's like, is going to church a discipline? Yes, because many don't. Or many come sporadically or very rarely. Why? Because they aren't disciplined to do so. And Satan will tempt you to put any other thing before church. I mean, he'll tell you, why. you know what? It's Sunday. Why don't you sleep in? You go to church after you die. Uh, You know, maybe you should work on Sunday, you know, because you need the money so you can buy more stuff. I know your garage and storage facilities are full, but maybe you could get some more stuff. Or, you know, you, you should play. You could go to church some other day. And so these kind of things he tempts you to do. And if he can't get you to do that and you're stubborn and going, well, I'm going to church. Then he's going to tempt you to be on the fringe. Somebody who just comes and kind of a fat cell in the body of Christ where you suck up all the nutrients and grow fat, but you never give out. You're kind of an amputated appendage. You're not part of the body. You don't help the body function. You're just lopped off, sitting in the pew by yourself, and you're not contributing to the church. You're not participating in church. You're just... Attending and receiving. He doesn't want you to be involved in a small group or a Sunday school or Sunday night. He wants you to be sitting in the bleachers, you know, criticizing those who are in the game. Going, I wish they'd do this. The preacher preaches too long. He preaches too soft. He should say more of this and more of that. And, you know, I go to the Sunday school. That guy doesn't know what he's doing. And how come they do this? The the children's program is broken here. And, you know, there's all those kind of complaints. They're not attached. They're just there. That's what Satan wants. God wants something antithetical, of course. And this is why you must discipline yourself to participate in corporate worship. Not attend, but participate. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going to be looking at verse 25. Now... I'm going to read verses 19 through 39 just to get some context because there's a lot of things going on in the near vicinity of our text that you need to know about. Important things that really help us understand our text clearly. And just to give you a little bit of information about Hebrews is we don't know who wrote it. Some people say Paul wrote it, but it doesn't say that. Um, Some people think it was Apollos. That's my guess. Um, But whether Paul did or Apollos or some other person, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We know that whoever it was, they were very knowledgeable of the Hebrew scriptures and Christianity and the teachings of Christ. The book of Hebrews, as the title suggests, is primarily written to Jewish believers, but not just Jewish believers, because there are these warning sections in the book of Hebrews where the author of Hebrews stops and he addresses fence-sitters. 
fence-sitting Jews. You say, well, what's that? Those are Jews who have kind of gotten interested into Christianity. Maybe they saw the preaching of Peter at Pentecost, or, or they saw the miracles being performed, or they saw so many Jews changing their, their beliefs and, and believing in Jesus as the Messiah, and they've gotten interested, and they've come into the local church, and they've heard the gospel, and they've seen uh, just people's lives being transformed and worship like they've never seen or heard worship performed ever before and they're just blown away as they're as they're observing all this but they haven't repented of their sins and given their life to Christ some have tragically walked away and gone back to Judaism but some are kind of vacillating they don't know whether they should commit themselves to Christ or not so throughout the book is sprinkled these five warning sections and our text this morning either appears in or right before one, the fourth warning section. Uh, some commentators think that the warning section starts from verse 19 and goes down to verse 39. Others say it's from verses 26 to 39. Either way, verse 25, our text, relates directly to the fourth warning section. As you shall see as we begin to look at it and begin to explain it. Also, what's significant about Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 is it's the first verse where the author of Hebrews kind of shifts his emphasis from telling you about the superiority of Christ and why Christ is greater to what we are to do about it. So in other words, verse 19 is the beginning of the application section of the book of Hebrews. He spent 10 chapters telling us about the superiority of Christ, and now he's going to tell us what to do about it. And this is what he says. Follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read starting in verse 19 down to verse 39. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is through his flesh... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us stimulate one another. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encourage one another as all the more and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but to those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And so having talked about faith, he then goes into chapter 11, which of course we know is the great chapter on faith. So what we're going to do is do kind of our normal thing here, kind of our Puritan outline, just a very simple outline. And that is, I want to show you the, the application and meaning of the text, and then we'll get into uh, just how to put that into specific practice in our lives. So first, understand that you need to discipline yourself to corporately worship. So before we look at verse 25, I want you to note that verse 25 is the end of a sentence that begins in verse 23. There are several exhortations here. They're not full-on commands, but strong admonitions that carry the force of a command. And the first is at the the beginning of verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So let's hold our faith that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one of God who has come to die on the cross for our sins, that we can be reconciled to God. So let us hold fast that. Why? At the end of verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. God promised that Jesus, the Messiah, would come, that he'd die. All of this was in the word. It was all predicted by the prophets, and God has fulfilled it. He who promised is faithful. Then we come to the second lettuce in verse 24. Sounds like a salad, doesn't it? There's lots of lettuce here. Um, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So now he's saying, again, as believers, our desire should be to encourage other believers. This is one of the things we have to do. We have to encourage each other in the Lord. God wants us to do that. So I think we all know that. We use our skills, our our talents, our spiritual gifts, our time, our energy, our words to practice the one another's. And of course, there's a whole dump truck load of those in the Bible. How specifically are we to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? Well, he tells us, look at verse 25, our text, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the mowers you see the day drawing near. Verse 25 explains the sphere in which the exhortation of verse 24 is to take place. In other words, we are to encourage and stimulate one another to love and good deeds in the context of corporate worship. Gathering together on Sundays or Wednesday nights or whenever it happens. Verse 26 and following contains some then of some very scary words that relate specifically to verse 25. Now I'm just going to read verses 26 through 31 again. I just kind of went through very casually before, but I'm going to put the emphasis that needs to be there. These are some of the scariest verses in all of the New Testament, if not the Bible. And he says this, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain uh, terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two witnesses, two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's like, wow, those are scary verses. 
That is some scary stuff. But there is something scarier still. Notice this. Look at the beginning of verse 26 where the author of Hebrews says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Stop there. When he says, For if we go on sinning willfully, what sin is that? What sin is that? Well, all we have to do is go back into the text to find the nearest sin mentioned. So we go back to verse 25 and we read the nearest sin mentioned, forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Forsaking the assembly is the go on sinning willfully sin mentioned in verse 26. In other words, not participating in corporate worship with the saints is the sin that brings a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries and to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. That is major serious. That is scary. To think about how cavalier many Christians are about church and to think that God would say that about those who don't come to church. Who make it a habit not to attend church. There is nothing left for them. There is no longer a sacrifice for their sins. They only have certain judgment waiting for them. That is a scary thought. Turn back to Hebrews chapter four, or 6 verse 4. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. Where we find a similar passage, another warning section in the book of Hebrews. And I just want to point this out because it parallels our text almost perfectly. He again is speaking to these Jews who are sitting on the fence. And you understand, I mean, we read it earlier, right? As we were reading down through like verse 32 when it says, And you joyfully accepted the seizure of your property. He's saying some of you in coming to Christ have lost your family. You've lost your business. You've lost your property. You've been rejected. You don't have anything because you've come to Christ. And so now he, there's some who because they see the great cost of giving their life to Christ and they know it's just going to be, you know, religious suicide among the Jewish community. Now, they're hesitating, and some are thinking, maybe we should go back. Maybe we should go back to killing animals in the temple. And this is what he says, starting in verse 4 of Hebrews 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. They were enlightened. That is, they came into the church, heard the gospel being preached, and they understood who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. They tasted salvation. They didn't receive salvation. They weren't saved. They tasted it and that they were hanging around all these people who were transformed and born again and their whole lives were just radically altered and they were around these people. They heard the gospel, but they still hadn't repented. They partook of the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit. They were just around when the Holy Spirit in the early church was doing miracles and doing all these incredible things. They were there. They heard it. They saw it all. So they knew it was from God. 
They received as much revelation as a person could possibly receive. And then some of them turned away. And they went back to Judaism and sacrificing animals. And in doing so, they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. And that is why He says, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Thus, if you go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 10, you look at verse 26, He's basically saying the same thing. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, which is another way of saying it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. In other words, they have sealed their doom by rejecting the full revelation of Christ and their doom is certain in that they have departed from the fellowship of the believers. Now what's amazing is that Hebrews 10.25 tells us That corporate worship is the touchstone, the acid test of a person's true spiritual identity in this regard. All true believers who are saved by grace want to come to church. They love God's people. They love worshiping God with God's people. They love serving God's people. They want to obey God and all those one another's and all those things the Bible commands them to do in the context of the local church. They want to do all because they want to give God glory. And so they want to come and participate in corporate worship. Yes, there are the exceptions, you know. Uh, If you are in prison for your faith, then, you know, you can't come this morning. It's okay. Or if you're sick, or maybe you're too old and fragile to make it anymore. Or maybe, you know, you work on a nuclear submarine 20,000 leagues under the sea, and you're the only believer among all those unbelievers, and you know, you can't do it. Okay, that's all right. But the rule, the norm, the standard is for believers to make it a priority and get to church, to public worship, and to corporately be involved in worship with God's people. That's normal Christianity. They make it a priority to do so. You say, well, what about those people who don't? Or what about those people who who kind of used to and then they kind of quit coming to church and now they're not going to church anymore? John tells us about them in 1 John 2, 19, where he says, of those who used to participate in corporate worship but no longer do, they went out from us, so they... But they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it may be shown that they're all not of us. They're, yeah, they're not Christians. They are what the New Testament calls apostates. An apostate is a well-informed unbeliever who for a time participated in the church and having left has nothing to await them but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. They've received all the revelation they need to come to Christ. They just reject it they've experienced fellowship and singing and corporate worship and heard baptism testimonies and all those things and then have walked away now all of that is necessary to understand really our text and the force of our text and our text really has four key concepts concerning corporate worship that if you heed these you will be blessed by god you will be built up in your faith, and God will be glorified. I want you to look at them quickly. First, we are told what not to do. We are given a negative exhortation, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together. Here the word forsake is a very strong word. It's that word that um, is used in Matthew 27, verse 46, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Abandonment. It's that word that Paul used in speaking of Demas, his disciple, who having loved this present world, departed from him, forsook him. The word translated forsake is almost always used in speaking of forsaking someone or something because there's some sort of danger or consequence involved. At that time, when you became a Christian, you were putting your life on the line. I mean, we read it. The people were having their whole, all their property seized. They were being rejected. They were losing all to follow Christ. So there was danger. And that's why these people were sitting on the fence because they, I think they knew that this was probably true, but they just couldn't find the strength within themselves to commit to Christ because they saw the great consequence that would come as a result of it. So they turned away from Christ and Christianity. So verse 25 is aimed directly at the fence-sitters who haven't repented, committed themselves, aren't serving, aren't giving, aren't participating. They're just fringe people in the congregation. Secondly, we are given a negative example to avoid at all costs. Look at the middle of verse 25. As is the habit of some. Some had already left. As a habit, they didn't show up. They, they showed up on Easter and Christmas. And when we treat corporate worship that way, when it means that little to us, it is a certain indicator that we don't know Christ and only judgment awaits us. The word habit means just that, the custom, the manner, the way you usually operate. And it doesn't mean you can never go camping and miss worship for a week or go on vacation and miss a couple weeks. It doesn't mean you can't be a doctor and you're called in to do emergency surgery on Sunday morning and you miss a service. It doesn't mean that. It means if you make it the habit of not showing up, You have gone apostate, even if you show up a little. Third, we are given a positive exhortation to counterbalance the negative one, but in contrast to forsaking the assembly as the habit of some, but encourage one another. So this is a present active participle. You are to be encouraging one another. As the New American Standard or English Standard Version has it, the New King James has exhorting it means to exhort, implore, urge, beg, entreat, comfort, encourage. You know, it has a huge variety of meanings. It's all those things that happen when you get together with other believers. You say, man, keep reading your Bible. Yeah, let me pray for you. Brother, sister, I, you know, that's contrary to the word of God. It's all of those appealings and beggings and exhortings and admonishings and all those things that happen when you get together with other believers who care about you. That's what verse 24 describes as stimulating one another to love and good deeds. The same thing. You come to church to be blessed. You come to church to bless others and to build everybody up. The church, the church, when it meets corporately, is where you get your spiritual gas tank filled up and where you help other people fill up their spiritual gas tank so you can run until you come together again. And then fourth... We have seen the negative exhortation, don't forsake the corporate worship. The negative example, 
as is the habit of some, the positive exhortation, but encourage one another. And finally, we're given the frequency of how much we should be involved in corporate worship. He says the end of verse 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice he doesn't say every Sunday or 92 times a year or he doesn't give a number. He just says, as you see the day drawing near, what day? Well, he goes on to describe it as the day of Christ. Well, how do we know if the day of Christ is coming near? Well, if you were to go to certain texts like um, uh, Matthew 24, where Jesus describes the birth pangs of his coming, he said, look for things like this. Wars, rumors of wars, uh, droughts, famines, earthquakes, um, look for like natural disasters increasing, a profusion of false religions, and apostasy. Do we see those things today? Yeah, they're rampant. They're rampant and ever increasing. And so what, how, what are we to do when the world is sliding down into the pit, when it's proceeding from bad to worse, what are to Christians, what are Christians to do? Are they to just kind of follow the slide down and participate in the things of the world and, and just suck up more world and more stuff and more entertainment as the world slides down into judgment? No. They are to gather together more frequently, all the more, in an ever-increasing way, as they see the world plummeting and perishing and walking away from God. That's what God wants us to do, every one of us. We need to see church as a cool place that we want to go. And not set it aside for frivolous reasons. Well, you know, we could skip church and, you know, watch TV. We could skip church and, you know, go shopping. We could skip church and do anything. You know, if I don't have anything else to do and nobody likes me on Sunday morning and I happen to go to bed early and I'm bored stiff, then I'll go to church. Most churches no longer have a a Sunday evening service. You know why? People quit coming. No one shows. Why? Because they'd rather watch football. They'd rather watch TV. They'd rather have a barbecue. They'd rather do anything than hang around with God's people and pray and hear God's word and be encouraged in the Lord. I mean, it's all boring. Like God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to build you up. He wants to see you strong in your faith. He wants you to glorify him and bless him. And that happens when the church gathers together corporately. Now you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor Jack, this is like way convicting. Could you please move on? Okay, I'll move on. Let's talk about the application. So let's just say that you're sitting out there going, okay, 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 okay. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Um, so now what do we do? What, do? what is the response? How do we become disciplined in part, participating, being involved in corporate worship? Here are some things. And this is just you know, a group of things that I would strongly encourage you to do. First, plan to show up whenever you can. You've probably noticed that in every one of the disciplines we've talked about, every single one of them, they all include intention. Have you ever noticed that if you don't intend to work out, you never work out? If you don't intend to clean your house, it doesn't happen. There there has to be some purposefulness there. And so it is in in coming to church. You have to say, you know, this is what I do. I I go to church. When When the doors open, I show up when I can. 
You know, granted, if you're traveling or camping or sick or in the nuclear submarine 20,000 leagues under the sea, fine. Then, you know, you might miss a Sunday or two. But hey, you make, it, you make it your habit to come, not your habit not to come. You show up as a rule and you don't use any lame excuses about not showing up. Secondly, show up early. Whew. Imagine that. This would require you actually to get up 10 minutes early. For some of you, a half hour since you're 20 minutes late every week. You know, it's okay to show up early, to drive to church at the speed limit, to get a parking spot, a good parking spot, to walk in a relaxed way towards the do-nots and coffee, and to have one of those, and drink a little coffee, and to talk to other believers, and see somebody who's moving some chairs, say, can I help you with that? To ask people how they're doing in the Lord, how their walk is. Maybe come and pray with the men who are praying before the service or just be a blessing. Wander into the service or not rushed or early and sit down, do a little prayer, open your Bible, read the bulletin. You know, that that's okay. That is okay to do. And what's really great is, is if you do that, then you don't distract the people who do do that by coming in late. We have worship service planning meeting committee. Does that sound fun? Um, and we're always trying to find out how can we bless people? How, what can we do to really get, have people get more out of the service, to you know, increase our worship, to make it more glorifying to God, more edifying the saints? And, you know, there are times, I kid you not, where we're saying, well, hey, let's do this. And, yeah, we'll do it right at the beginning of the service. And then the question goes, well, then a lot of people will miss it. I go, yeah, that's right. I guess we could do it later, but then, then they'll miss the other part. That's not good. You need to show up early. And if you have kids a little earlier still, you know, it does require that you maybe go to bed on time and actually get up when your alarm tells you and not hit the snooze 12 times. But show up early so that you're not a distraction to others and so that you can just relax and be blessed as you come to worship God with a worshipful frame of mind and not all like, hurry, hurry, we're we're, we're going to miss the music. Why are we even bothering? Get in the car, you know, type of thing. (laughs) Third, seek to be a blessing to others. Don't think of church as your favorite shopping mall where you kind of come and, you know, I like church because I can come here and get the donut I want and the, the coffee I want and sit in the pew I want and hear some songs that I want. And hopefully hear a sermon that I want. And everything's about you. And what you want. Throw that away. Just put that out of your mind. Think to yourself, what can I do to be a blessing to other people? How can I come with a cheerful heart to encourage other people? How can I, you know, seek out people who are on the fringe? You know, there's always those people in church. You know who they are. Um, They come, they're the first time, they're kind of sitting there going... I don't know anybody here. And everybody looks at them like, that person looks like they don't know anybody, so I'm going to stay away from them. I mean, granted, there are those people who kind of have their arms crossed like this, like, I dare you to talk to me. (laughs) And then they write down, this is the most unfriendly church I have ever been to in my life. 
Those are the people you need to go to and say, pal, what happened? Have you been eating dill pickles? <laughs> go be a blessing to other person. Serve, uh, you know. Come ready to give and to use your time and energy and resources to bless other people. Fourth, plan to give before you show up. You know the Bible instructs you to give. You're commanded to give. You have to give. I mean, quit trying to debate whether you should or not. You have to. You have to do it sacrificially, regularly, anonymously, as the Lord has blessed you with a cheerful heart, not under compulsion, etc., etc. The scriptures are very clear. There's many texts on that. So plan to give. Don't just kind of wait. Oh, they're doing an offering thing again. They're moving there. I got some leftover change and plink as it goes by. It's like, there you go. There you go. There, Jesus. Three pennies and a quarter. That's not... That's not worship. That's giving God the crumb. That's an insult to God. Plan to give, especially you young people. You say, well, you know, I don't have that much money. Listen, man, your parents are probably passing all sorts of cash through your hands. Set some aside and give it to the Lord. If you're a Christian, give. If you're not, then don't bother. But if you claim the name of Christ, then give. And I think for the younger generation, this is kind of harder because in the younger generation, a lot of times, you know, they're kind of going cashless. You know, you're getting to the place where, you know, you just, I never carry cash. You just kind of wave your card at it or your cell phone nowadays. They're coming on. Pretty soon you're just going to have, you know, your cell phone. You just kind of, it pays for everything. It does everything. You just point your cell phone at it and whop. You know, you get the whatever you're trying to get. And so because of that, you have to decide how am I going to give as the Lord commands me to give before you come? So plan to give before you show up. Make it a habit. Put it in your budget. Make it what you do in obedience to the Lord. Prayerfully. Not Don't do it under compulsion. Don't just like, oh, no, maybe I should have maybe I should, should I give like my $5 bill or my $10 bill. Or I could throw in my watch. Don't throw in your watch. Sell your watch and then throw the cash in. It's easier on Don Chernock. Five, plan to sing with all your heart and with all your mind and soul and strength to the Lord. When you come, just be ready to just sing out to the Lord. Focus on the words of the music. Thank God that that you get to come to a church where you have somebody who scrutinizes the words to make sure the words are good. And don't get all bent out of shape like, well, I don't like horses, and I don't like hymns, and I wish we would do this, and I wish we would do that. Pal, listen, it's not about you. Worship is to God, not to you. We don't sing songs to you or for you. But for God. Remember, when you're worshiping through singing, it's not about you singing to God. It's about you singing to God. God's the big thing. You are the little thing. You are not on the throne. God is on the throne. So you let him be on the throne and you be in front of him. As a matter of fact, try this. When you're singing songs, think of yourself in heaven before God. There's nobody there. It's just a, just a blank area. And there's Jesus and all the holy angels behind him. And Jesus going, okay, let me have it. I want to hear audition from you to me. Quit thinking of the person next to you. There's nobody there. 
What I want you to do is I want you to sing to me like you love me, like you believe the words you're singing. It, it'll fix your worship. All of a sudden, all those little distractions, and oh, I hate this song, I don't like this tune, and oh, I don't like these words, and it's an old fuddy-duddy. And, you know, all that goes away because now it's not about you because you're not on the throne. Jesus is. It's about you worshiping Jesus. Six, encourage others to show up and faithfully get involved. You know, there's sometimes we have this idea, well, I want to get together with some Christian friends, and what should we do? What should we do? Come to church. You try coming on Sunday night. Try getting involved. Try serving together. Hey, let's do this ministry together. Hey, let's do some things together. Let's worship together. Treat churches as a place where you go to build each other up, not as the last resort. Oh, yeah, we got to do that at least once a week. Otherwise, the pastor will get mad at us. Make sure the place you go to have fun, the place you go to be blessed, the place you enjoy fellowship and serve and give and grow in the Lord first and foremost is the assembly of the local church. It is the closest thing to heaven you're ever going to get on earth. If you're thinking, well, I don't really like, I don't really like church. It's like, you're not going to like heaven. Most likely you're not going to heaven right now. That's what heaven's going to be about. A bunch of people assembled together in the presence of Christ, worshiping him. Seven, if you find yourself grumbling and complaining and discontent about what is happening at Calvary Bible Church, remind yourself that spirit is not from God. It's not from God. You need to be thankful the Bible is being taught here in pretty much every single sphere that the words of the songs are sound and doctrinally correct, that the people up front are walking in the Spirit, that they're not attending one of the majority of dead churches, heretical churches, harlot churches in the world. You could be one of those dead people sitting in a dead church in a dead pew. Think about what it would be like to live in China. Think about what it would be like to live in a Muslim country, a place where Christians are persecuted and abused and imprisoned and tortured, who had gas poured in them and lit on fire, where women are raped and forced to marry Muslim men. Why? Because they're Christians. You could be in one of those countries. You read the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and learn about all those Christians who are suffering because they gathered together in some little huddle out in the jungle and were caught and then killed and driven off read foxes the new foxes book of martyrs where it just gives you a a whole new perspective and attitude adjustment about the blessings of what you have here you've got so much we've got a shopping mall of programs a huge shopping mall of programs and we've got so many things i i always think man let's cut back i'm just going well, i don't want to cut back on my you know store no you cut back on your store well my store is commanded in the bible Yours isn't. Um, You know, nobody wants to get rid of the thing in church. But, you know, we have so many. Sometimes we're just complaining because we don't get exactly what we want. If we could just have one more thing just like I want. Don't let discontentment and grumbling and a complaining heart poison you and poison other people around you. Thinking that, you know... Well, if it isn't just like I want, you kind of got this hypercritical spirit. And lay that at the door. Repent of that. Come to church to be a blessing and to be blessed. And if you see something that's broken, seek to be part of the solution rather than just 
you know, a woodpecker and just drill at other people about, I don't like this thing, I don't like this thing, I don't like this thing. Well, then do something about it. Pray harder, talk to somebody, make it different, do it better yourself. Do something. But don't just come to church to make other people miserable and hinder what God is trying to do here. Be part of the good stuff. C.H. Spurgeon in a sermon entitled The High Rock said this, Sometimes by sickness either personal or sickness of our relatives, we are detained from the house of God. And at other times, in journeying by land or on sea, we are unable to be in God's sanctuary and to use the means of grace. This is a great deprivation for the God's people. You will find that a true Christian had rather miss a meal than lose his daily portion of Scripture or his frequent resort to the house of prayer. That man is no child of God who does not value the means of grace. I tremble for that man's piety who professes himself to maintain the vital spark of grace within him when the means of grace are at hand and he lives in neglect of them. Some people, if they go to a watering place or a little way out of town, say, well, there is nobody here who preaches my sentiments, so I shall not go anymore. I would remind them that the Apostle Paul, and he doesn't know that, said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the habit of some. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful that you have given us so much at Calvary Bible Church. Help us not to have a shopping mall mentality. Help us not to think that we are here to get what we want, but we're here to get what you want which is us to love one another, encourage one another, use our gifts to minister to one another, to worship in spirit and truth. And Father, do all those things that your word commands us to do. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who are sitting on the fence, who periodically come to church, or those who are on the fringe, who come faithfully but never get attached. They don't want anybody in their lives because they're scared of that. They have things to hide. Father, I pray those people will repent of their sins, place their faith in Jesus Christ, and become attached, become part of the body, the spiritual body of Christ, and get involved to give you glory, to bless the saints, and to receive blessing from them. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.